In this episode, we'll talk about the widening definition of design, what you retained in school, and why relationships on the job matter. Welcome to Colored by Design. This discussion series looks at design issues through a uniquely biased lens. Our hope is to empower a new breed of creative as they enter into, mature, and navigate through the business world. I'm Corwin, Senior Global Creative Director. And I'm Jesse, Senior Experience Designer. Let's get into it. Greetings, sir. Hey. How's it going? Good. Here we so, are, live and in living live color. Live in living color. <laughs> this is the face behind the voice. <laughs> um, so, so what are we doing here? Why are we giving people a sneak peek into who we really are? It's nice to hide behind the microphone. Yeah, yeah. It's it's easy when you have uh, you can kind of fidget and do some different things. Right. But you know, we were discussing our first few episodes, our first ten, our first block of episodes. Yep. We kind of approached um, doing them a specific way, and now we're iterating a little bit trying to change maybe some of the format um, in order to make sure that we're reaching our audience. Yeah, for sure. And I think it was, uh, you know, when we first started this this experiment, kind of this outlet, and for us it's actually a, a good a good outlet where, yeah. we, where we get to kind of share ideas and thoughts and things that, you know, we're thinking about, you yeah. know, um, with you guys. And it's been actually pretty cool so far. I think, yeah. you know, we had the dude on Twitter. No, who, the, the cat that uh, said, oh, I hope to see Jesse. And yeah, him. yeah. Uh, I think his name was at Todd Reynolds yeah, on Todd Twitter. Reynolds. So shout out to you. Yeah. Um, it's always kind of surprising to me. I actually had a conversation with my dad, which I don't know why this would have surprised me, but he was asking me about blockchain because um, hmm. he had been listening to our episode. And he, and both obviously, both my parents are listening. You know, oh. they're being they're being very supportive parents. Oh, um, cool. Well, but, shout but out we to had, the third and Mrs. the third. <laughs> <laughs> we had a we had a good conversation about you know some of the things that we discussed in the podcast, and he said it was interesting in that it was a different outlet for them to get to know me and what I'm thinking about, which Dude, is cool. That is super cool because yeah. I know to this day my parents don't know what I what I what I do for a living. Yeah, and he said um, he's an engineer. He's an aerospace engineer. Okay, and um, he said all. Uh, throughout his life, he's been interested in making things and creating things, and mm. do he's he's expressing that creativity through engineering, absolutely, and mechanical engineering. And he, you know, when when his coworkers would ask, you know, what does your son do? What do your sons do? And he didn't really have a, a necessarily a, a firm grasp on what specifically it was that we're doing, but you know, the podcast has kind of crystallized around. Oh, That's we're awesome. actually still making things. We're just we're doing it in a different way. That's super cool. Yeah. And That's so we really just cool. we discussed kind of the the history. I don't know if it's the history of design, but it is in a way in that for that for his generation and for growing up and, and working in that space, design was not necessarily as broadly defined as it is today. Right. Um, we call ourselves product designers often in this space, but for a certain subset of people um, product design meant you're making physical things mm -hmm. like chairs doing right. or, or trash cans like that's product design right and it still means that to some people but the definition has expanded over the years to now include software design and things like that right and that's really interesting just to kind of hear that story and see how that has kind of helped reshape the lens of what he's how he thinks about design right and it just kind of as we move forward in this space and new technologies come out and emerge we're going to need to continue to broaden our definition of design. Yep. And I think you touched on that a, a little bit in our last episode. Yeah, I think it is. And it's, it's funny that you say that because, yeah, our, our definition of design, I mean, dictionary definition of design has tons of meaning anyway. Yeah. Um, but I'd never thought about product design, right, or, or products, yeah. right? designing products. It, it, it takes on a lot of different um, definitions also, which is fascinating. Yeah. But what's really cool, what I like about what your dad says, is that he's always like to build stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think the piece that um, I, I would go out on a limb and say most creatives, they like building. They yeah. like making, right? You hear this whole maker movement and all that kind of stuff. You yeah. know, Making stuff is really, really cool. And that's what's really fun about design is that whether you're doing, you know, uh, mechanical engineering, you're doing electrical engineering, you're doing, you know, graphic design, product design, visual design, interaction design, yeah. conversational design, right? Um, information architecture, real architecture. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's all like kind of trying to understand a problem that needs to be addressed and yeah. how can you best address it? And then what mediums and what tools and pieces and parts do you need to bring together? And then what's the output and how do we deliver that and make sure and then test it and validate it to make sure that it's doing what it's intended to do. Yeah. The process is exactly the same. It doesn't matter where you're at. And what's cool, 
going back to your dad being an engineer, is that he has made a career doing in some parts the thing that he the things that he likes to do. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, one of my personal kind of kind of you know, goals or missions for myself is to help people find what they love to do for a living. Yeah. Because I get to do that every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's awesome that he's found a way to kind of, you know, have some of that outlet and build a career and, and, you know, for himself too. So that, that, that's, that's cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I love that you kind of made that call out as to what it is that you enjoy to do, because that's a part of the reason why we're here and why we're doing this, this podcast and yep. trying to do this outreach is, and empower, as, as we say in, in our opening statement, empower a new breed of creatives in the business world yep. um, and help people find what it is that they love to do. Totally. Because we have to go to work. Yeah. I mean, we live in this environment where you need money. Yeah. And, um, but what I want to, I want people, you know what, for the, for the, for the youngsters out there. The youngsters. The youngsters, the young bloods. <laughs> the teeny boppers. <laughs> but even, even if you're kind of in your, you know, maybe your, your second, even third career yeah you know you have to really um be careful because i see a lot of dreamers yeah and i don't see enough people being pragmatic about what they need to accomplish learn and build upon in order to actually have a sustainable career in any discipline yeah and so like um i have a, a one of my nephews he's uh uh Great guy, love him, extremely talented. Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation uh, last week, and I was saying, you know, I was asking him how his business coming along because he's an Instagram influencer and, and yeah. doing a lot of social media marketing and stuff. Knows his stuff like crazy. And we were talking, and I'm like, so what's next? Yeah, you know, because being a anything is only going to get you so far. Right. Being just a designer. Yeah. Being just an interaction designer. Being just a conversational intelligence expert. Yeah. All those things are only going to get you so far. Yeah. So it's like, what's the goal? What's the next step? What's the next, pl- you know, the next run? Because you're going to have a family at some point. You're going to have a mortgage possibly, or you're going to want to travel the world. Right. What are those steps you need to kind of get you to the next level? And, um, you know, I want to encourage everybody to really sit down and try to map out a course for yourself. Yeah. You know, when I got into this business, I knew from the get-go that I wanted to be a creative director. Right. And so everything I did was tart was taking me closer and closer to that reality. Yeah. You know, so all the jobs I took, all the things I wanted to learn, all the challenges, all the fun projects, all the sucky projects. Yeah. It was all kind of part of my master plan for myself to get me to this point, you yeah. know. Um, and now I'm at this point and I'm like, okay, now what's next? Yeah. Because totally. I can't stay here forever, right. especially with the industry changing, you know. So really look to like what's next, what is it going to take for you to kind of get to that next level in your in your career and and what what things do you need to be proficient at to, to go on and, and add on to what you're doing great that's excellent now yeah one of the things that i really loved about the conversation with my dad is we touched on the similar thing we said and i was asking him you know what's next for you he's he's been in his career and in his industry for you know 30 years right and um he's not done growing and learning and wanting to explore new things so we, we are wanting to reach out to to the young folks who are just entering into um, work and work life but I, I love your call out about second and third careers as well, because um, it's important that you keep that energy. Um, if you stagnate, you die. If oh, you man. stop moving forward, you know, and, and I don't mean die in the literal sense, but so often people can kind of lose their motivation to continue to grow and continue to learn. Yep. Um, and I call it being institutionalized. Yeah. I mean, it, in, in a way, that's that's kind of what it is. And it's it's so interesting that we kind of had these parallel conversations where I, you know, I want I want to encourage even, you know, older folks who are who m- might want a, a change of industry, uh, a right. change of pace, a new energy, a new vibe um, to to really have the energy to make that move. We talked a little bit about energy in the last episode, and uh, it's to that point of institutionalization you can be lulled into being complacent. Um, and you know, it's great. It's, 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 it's not great. But when you are in environments where you feel nurtured and you feel safe, mm-hmm. you can feel too safe. Mm-hmm. And then you can start to get lulled to sleep right. by the day in and day out, going to work, coming home, going to work, coming home and not stopping and asking yourself, okay, what am I doing next? What's right. my next step? Right. Um, and career pathing is another thing that can be difficult for people. You mentioned that you knew all along you wanted to be a creative director, but um, I only knew that I wanted to be a designer. 
mm-hmm. outside of that specific thing. I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there may be a lot of people out there who don't know, okay, what, what specifically should I be looking to do after where I am now? Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that I, I, it's okay not to know. Yeah. It's definitely okay not to know. Cause I do think part of it is first, I think it's a bit, you know, I talk about, uh, tattoos. Yeah. I'm a fan of tattoos. Yeah. I'm not a fan of bad tattoos. <laughs> I'm not a fan of tattoos that I will regret later. Right. You know, so it's part of the reason why I don't have a bunch of tattoos. I'm like, I had, I have one that I got when I was 18 mm-hmm. and I was smart enough to put it in a place that I knew <laughs> if this is a bad decision, I wouldn't have to look at it. My wife wouldn't have to look at it. My kids wouldn't have to look at it. I right. wouldn't be embarrassed by it. Right. And sure enough, to this day, <laughs> I made the right decision by putting it in a place where, you know, it's, it's not embarrassing. But you got to think, I don't know enough at 18, 19, 20, 25, 30. Right. 40, 45 to know what's next 10 years, right. five years. And especially now um, in, in this technology age, dude, mm-hmm. I mean, just the, our world has been turned completely upside down almost quarterly, yeah. you know, and definitely annually, yeah. right? I mean, two years ago, the, the, the blockchain, I think Bitcoin was really invented, in, I don't even know the year, call it, I don't know, let's call it five years ago. Mm-hmm. You guys can fact check it. I'm not, I'm not professing to know all these damn <laughs> facts. But nevertheless, uh, you know, the blockchain technology has been there in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we are in really year three after the hype kind of got from, from the enthusiasts and the cryptographers and the guys and gals that really are, are kind of foundational in that industry. Mm-hmm. Now it's starting to get to the rest of us. Yeah. And it's still not to the masses at all. Right. I mean, you know, I think the early adopters know about it and are learning about it more, but the world doesn't know about this mm-hmm. stuff still. So, but again, our world is getting ready to change right now again yeah you know we just got to the place where we have you know mobile phones that you can you know really transact on and really run your business run your life and do everything on right um ride sharing has changed with uber and all that jazz and we're just talking about the scooters you know here in dallas you know we've got the bird scooters and the lime scooters and all that stuff yeah and 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 even even just think about it one year ago they dropped all those bikes in the city Mm -hmm. now countries like amsterdam and china and other places have always had these you know you know, shared, you know, bicycles and things, but right. not always, but for a long time, um, United States really just started seeing it. And yeah. you saw the bikes descend on the cities and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Yeah. But you had to sweat and pump and still <laughs> pedal it, you yeah. know? And then here come the scooters mm-hmm. and now you just get on there electric, you press a button and you're effortlessly breezing through the city on yeah. a hot day Yep. inside of one year. Mm-hmm. It has gone from, wow, look at all those bikes to, Oh, the scooters are way better, more efficient. And I've, racked up easily a hundred bucks in fees on those doggone scooters yeah you really know? oh where are you riding around oh man i go to lunch <laughs> i park it out front you know what i'm saying they yeah. park the lambo i park the scooter <laughs> okay you know but uh but it's it, it you have to keep evolving yeah and that's what it is you know you know as you navigate through this business world this business world changes so fast yeah. you have to keep evolving yeah that's super interesting that microcosm of from what was it, bike apocalypse or something, where yeah, yeah, right. where Lime came through and just strewn their bikes all over the city, and yeah. and then people were like throwing them in trees and right, like kicking right. them over because they were angry that they had kind of run through the, in this way and, and kind right. of like an unconsidered approach um, when you think about like pedestrians on the sidewalks and things um, and how they were just littering the landscape. There was like a, a visceral reaction against them. Yeah. Um, and this was like a year ago. Or yeah. Maybe, you know, there was V-Bikes, there was Olo, yep. and there was uh, Lime, and then there was one other in, here in Dallas. Um, and then within the span of the year, you know, those have all disappeared by and large. Um, the the Lime bikes are still around. There is a, a, a great contingency, an unexpected use case, I would, I would guess, of a, a lot of... Um, seemingly homeless people, you know, being able to get around on those bikes, which is great. I, I think that's a great thing. Right. Um, a large number of them, though, have disappeared and been replaced with these scooters. And it seems to me, it's just a casual anecdotal observation that people are reacting much differently to the scooters. I think that's because they are actually fun. You know, there's an experiential right. component to them that is, you know, people enjoy hopping on those things and getting around town. I rode one down to, to record today, and I, I generally do, yep. because it's more fun and it's cheaper than paying for parking. Right. And, it, and so they get a car off the street, which is great. But another thing that you can kind of see the rapid pace of innovation and change, um, even within Dallas and our, our, our city here, is 
the big design conference. Mm. So we went to that conference, I think in its inaugural year. Um, it may have been maybe a year or two after it had been founded. Right. We went, and this was in 2014, yep. um, we went as a, as a team up to the big design conference in Addison. It was in a, uh, a hotel. Um, you know, no, I think that was the first time that that we went, and, and subsequently, um, four years later, it just happened. Uh, or it's happening today, uh, this weekend, and they're now at Gillies. And I cannot scroll through my LinkedIn, through my Twitter, without seeing multiple mentions of Big Design Conference. Mm. So, um, shout out to Brian Sullivan and those guys. They have yeah. really um, continued to push uh, on this thing, and, and it's really grown quite a bit. Um, and it's great to see in uh, our design community here that growth and and that acknowledgement that there is something cool happening here as i mentioned yep. um i had a, a fellow reach out to me on twitter who had kind of run into us through this podcast and, and tagged me with a few other really great designers in the area um that i hadn't known before and, right. and there's a lot of talent in this city yeah that, and i find that really cool um I, we were unable to be there um, this year, but I'm, I'm looking forward to in the future being able to go again and seeing just how different it really is from when we first went right. um, and being able to engage with the community in that way. So again, you know, that was a five year, four or five year thing, but the scooter bike thing was a one year thing, but that's just how quickly things are changing these days. Right, for sure. And just a little quick fact check, Big D was formed on a dare over 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was clearly unaware of it yeah, <laughs> until yeah, 2014. Yeah. So, yeah, so we just kind of, kind of, you know, got up on it. But yeah, I think it's, um, you know, and, and and you know, people, outfits like Big D, you know, uh, organizations like Big D, and these conferences that <clears throat> are in a variety of industries mm -hmm. are so necessary. Yeah, you know, and again, I I likewise applaud uh, Brian Sullivan and 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 the UX community here in Dallas that are really working to try to keep everybody abreast of where the changes are and 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 keep folks educated mm -hmm. and, and such um i'm gonna try to find it if i can there's a uh stop navel gazing mm -hmm. i think we talked about that a little bit last time yeah, um, i think i think we might have talked about it a little bit offline as well yeah so th there th speaking of the ux community there's this uh this, the end of navel gazing, uh, Paul Adams, UX London 28 thing. I think I mentioned it last time. Mm -hmm. um, oh, you're right. You did. Yeah, it was on the podcast. But it's great because, again, as much as you have organizations like, you know, Big D, and I'm sure there's tons around, you know, the, the, the country and around the world, mm -hmm. um, you know, helping to educate folks and keep them up to speed on, you know, trends in the industry and best practices and, and, and different, different things. Mm -hmm. You know, you also have other advocates out there saying, hey, guys, while you are you know, in this and navigating this new world, you got to make sure that you're adding real value. Remember, we talked about that was one of the things that was a big sticking point of mine. Right. Is as creatives, you know, you're part of an ecosystem. Yeah. You're nobody's, you know, you're nobody's salvation. Right. You know, you're, you're part of a team and, you know, you need to understand, you know, your value and what you really bring to the conversation and yeah. what your expertise really lends to the conversation. Yeah how you can add to, to, to what's being uh, built or, or, or the service that's being provided and all those kinds of things, you know? Right. So, um, but again, yeah, shout out to, to Big D and those guys for sure. So we spoke a little bit about um, how these design conferences can help to educate um, designers. And, and one of the things that I find interesting that we were kind of discussing um, a while ago is, is the way that learning has changed or not changed, but the pace at which you need to learn has accelerated. Right. So um, to a young design audience, uh, how much Corwin would you say of what you learned in school do you use today? Oh man, dude, I mean, let's start, let's start with what you can kinda, let's go back to high school, which is where we could probably remember yeah. what started getting in and, and, and sticking. Yeah. Um, pretty much nothing from high school. Right. I, I did stumble upon a graphic design course in high school um, that was doing like hand set, you know, uh, typesetting, right. like traditional typesetting, yeah. um, letterpress and lithography and, you know, developing your own photos and, and, and old school screen printing techniques and all that. Yeah. Hated every second of it. <laughs> hated it. Absolutely hated it. I did. And again, I love being a designer. And at that time in high school, I didn't know I, it was a graphic design class. Right. You know, I mean, that's literally what it was called. Couldn't stand it. Yeah. Hated the teacher. He was a good guy <laughs> in retrospect. You know what I mean? But, yeah. 
As a teenager, um, you didn't like him. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so what's funny is that, like, that was when I was, you know, called 16, 17. Right. And then fast forward till I was 22 or 23, and then I discovered graphic design. It was almost like I had an epiphany, like an awakening. Right. And I started laughing at myself because I'm like, I was doing the same kind of stuff like five, six years ago and hated every second of it. Yeah. Now I'm like madly in love with it. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> but then you get to the school and I went to a great school. We talked about being institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why I say institutionalized is because the, the, the art school I went to in San Francisco was, it was almost like you had to be a working professional in order to teach there. Yeah. And because again, you need to stay relevant. You right. need to teach these youngsters what life is like today because they're getting ready to go into the work world two or three years from now. Right. You can't teach them outdated, antiquated techniques. Right. It's, it's, dude, it's just a losing, losing, you know, uh, uh, curriculum. So, yeah. Um, so when I got there, I started learning a ton. Um, and it was a school that was really almost like a true, almost like, not quite an apprenticeship kind of environment, but mm-hmm. you were learning from the masters. Right. Like I know typography like nobody's business, right? And even mm-hmm. some of my friends are even more amazing typographers. Right. But we learned from people who studied typography and made fonts and sold fonts mm-hmm. and, and, and were craftsmen and women from like, you know, um, studied under people in Switzerland and anybody that knows, you know, typography and, and, and grid and layout and all that kind of stuff, the Swiss really had Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were who you look to. Right. You know, if you're going to try to be a pro basketball player, you look to LeBron and, and Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to be in typography, you look to the Swiss. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we were being taught by those folks. Yeah. So I'd say the craft of what I learned has stuck with me. Yeah. And it's like the foundation to everything I get to do today. Yeah. Short of that, all of the other classes, some of the art history stuff I still remember. Right. And like when I go to museums and such, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is from that period. I remember that. You know, yeah. I mean, I was falling asleep on it in the lecture halls, but it is great now as an adult. Then you feel really cultured and. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Brother coming through. Crazy culture. Crazy culture. Is it still recording? Uh, take a quick peek. I'm not. I let's hope so. And is it zoomed? Is it framed in good? Yeah, one point three and still. That's where it was. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and open your laptop back up just for aesthetics. You know, you're not getting anything out of it. Um, so yeah, so no, I felt really cultured, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so those kind of things I still use and still draw inspiration from and, yeah. and things like that. But sadly, the majority of it, 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 it's it's helped me get here. Yeah. But what, you know, once you get on a job and then you have three or four jobs, five jobs over the course of your career, you have to learn that new job and the ways they do and processes and things. You right. Know? So what about you? You're more newly graduated than I am. Yeah. So um in stark contrast to you, I didn't go to art school. I went to, well, I, I, I could have studied visual communication, but I was unaware of that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my focus was primarily, uh, I graduated with a pol- political science degree. Um, and I did that because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a freshman. Mm. Um, and, you know, just throughout that time in college, my interests kind of changed and I was drawn to design as a, as a profession. And Great. so I... I have a much different learning model in that I was primarily focused on interning and doing like jobs on campus. I was a, a, a graphic designer at uh, Campus Recreation and okay. we got to make posters and, 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 and uh, t-shirts and things like that, flyers. So I I've, uh, was very much learning on the job and I think that served me really well in my career to kind of keep that same focus on continuing um, education right and um it's really interesting because i've always been envious of the people who had the deep craft education Mm. um but i've because of that had somewhat of a chip on my shoulder and that i've always wanted to grow and catch up um, Mm -hmm. in some ways and that had then led me to all these different disciplines and different types of design execution that happen in, in the workplace right and how do you think that uh, that chip? Because I do think that the people that um, don't have something mm-hmm. seem to work harder. Um, so, for example, if you are 
um, you know, talking about designers always want a seat at the table. Yeah. It's like, great. Okay. If you don't have a seat at the table, then you should learn and, and educate yourself as much as you possibly can for when your day does come. Yeah. You're not sitting there looking like an idiot. Yeah. You actually have some value and some business acumen and some insights and understanding that you can share with the broader team to help the company do or the project do whatever it is it needs to do. Mm-hmm. So how, how has that like lack of, uh, formal education kind of motivated you. If you could share more about that, because I think people need to understand, as as we talk about continuing education, it's not like just reading articles and books and getting knowledge. Right. You got to apply it and and, and massage it and work it and try it again and fail a whole lot. Yeah. You know, but how's that, you know, that that chip really driven you? I think that it caused me and has allowed me to be less precious about specific subsets of design and Mm. having ownership over that thing. Mm. Um, And I think that it has allowed me to more freely morph between being a visual designer to being more of a product designer to being less involved in the specific visual execution of designs at all and more involved in the architecture of things and more involved in process design or service design or um, working with business on strategy design because of all of these different types of things that I've studied and learned over my both my education um, with my education in marketing. Uh, I had a lot of uh, graduated with a marketing degree, so I had a lot of kind of um, inter- graduated with a marketing degree. I didn't think uh, a marketing uh, minor. Minor. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. and then cool. I, I did a thesis in kind of advertising specifically. Okay. So there's a, a lot of different types of information that I've been able to get because of um, the type of education that I did. Mm -hmm. And I think that served me really well in this Mm. rapidly evolving business landscape where um, one day you might, or one for a few years, you might be working on, you know, visual design. And then this new thing kind of pops up and everybody's curious about how do I get involved in the design of conversational interfaces? How am I taking advantage of this new technology in regards to like Alexa or Google Home or Siri? How do I be where my users are in this more kind of distributed environment? And um, working in that space has required, again, kind of that rapid um, learning curve, which I was already accustomed to because I think it helps you have a beginner's mind Mm. um, a lot of the times when you don't know anything and you admit that you don't know anything. When you're confronted with that early on and not required to have answers to things, but just to know that, okay, I don't know this. I think that helps you not feel like you have to have the answers in in all these other fields that you go into. I love it. I love it. I think that, I think that, you know, you'll you all will find yourselves in different scenarios with different people different teams different projects different clients mm-hmm. you're going to find yourself working with lawyers that are intimidating yeah you find yourself up against regulations and things again we're talking about crypto and blockchain and that new world order that you guys are going to be designing for and solving for whether you like it or not yeah um but there's so much that if you walk in the door and kind of admit hey how you doing i'm corwin right. i don't know what i'm talking about right uh, you know, there's, there's, th- that's okay. Yeah. There's so much power from that. Oh my gosh. Cause people are happy to help. Yeah. You know, and you humble yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and admit what you know and don't know. But again, it allows other people to say, Oh, well let me teach you. You'll be surprised how helpful and how passionate people are about empowering you and giving you what you need to also be successful. Yeah. You know, so and I think that's important, right? Even this little this little project that we're doing, this Colored by Design podcast, it was a process. We had a big idea early on, right? And we stumbled and kind of tripped over our own feet for a few months, yeah. And then we decided to, after observing and looking at other podcasts, looking how other podcast teams do production, and we have a, a good friend Kevin uh, Kevin Cullen who's got a podcast. What is it? Quack Attack. Quack Attack. Yeah. Quack Attack. We asked him, "Hey, how do you do your thing?" He's like, "Oh, we kind of stitch it together with all this stuff." And we're like, "Okay, right. we're putting too much thought into this. Let's just strip it down. Yeah. Do the basics and put some reps in. Get consistent, and then we'll figure out our rhythm. Yeah. And now we've got a great system. Yeah. And it works very well. And uh, the other people that we've been able to inspire, our friend Evan, that's 13, that we mm-hmm. inspired, and your dad, who's, you know, well over 13, <laughs> we inspired. Yeah. Other people like Mr. Reynolds, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's cool. But what you have to first do is recognize, I don't know what I think I know. Yeah. And let me just start there. And then let me add on and learn and learn. And then now I've learned enough. Great. Now let me go build something. Yeah. Right. If you don't know how to use a hammer, observe, learn, then 
see, oh, where is a hammer best used? Yeah. Oh, I could use it here. I can use it here. I can use it here. And look, I've built something. Yeah. You know? I think so many people are expected. I think so many people anticipate that when you're hired, you're meant to be the expert on something. And sometimes no. you're, 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 you're expected to bring a certain level of value, right, for your level that you're hired at. If you're senior global creative director, you have to have some knowledge of how to operate in the business world. Right? You're, not, you're not going to be um, an, an associate level designer and get hired to be a global creative director. You're just not ready to do that. Right. But I think that that humility is it's such a valuable tool. Um, and I, I recently had the, ex, the opportunity, I, I was, I've been brought into my current role because I've had some experience in building for some of these distributed environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I know, I, I know some things, I know enough to know how much more I don't know. Right. And you know, that's a cliche, but it's so often, it's so true. Um, I've discovered over the time that I've been involved in this space that there are people who have been working in this distributed environment kind of conversational space for 20, 30 years, um, dating, you know, going back to designing IVRs, um, to, uh, which is like voice line when you call, uh, and then they're like, press one, blah, 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 press right. two, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's a disambiguation mini or an IVR. Um, it's less, it's you not the big ass words. This young man is using disambiguation. <laughs> I can't even say it. Disambiguation. Disambiguation. It really just means making things less ambiguous, making right. things less ambiguous. Amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are people who've been designing those phone systems and all that for 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. designing things for in car, uh, uh, responses and right. these different assistants and, and I'm I'm seeing like oh wow there's so much knowledge that I could gain from these places if I didn't say I know all of it um, and if you come in and you're like I know all the answers you're not going to be able to speak to those people in the same way and get all that really valuable knowledge out of them right and I think that goes back to this idea of design and the definition of design being continually broadened mm-hmm. and not trying to silo different disciplines and have ownership over one little stake right. of design. I yeah. think that is, um, it can be a tendency because you want to prove your value in right. some way. Like I know this better than everyone else, but I think you, the people who tend to actually know that don't act that way. Dude, I heard it said like, you know, we like, we like politics in our house, mm-hmm. but I like kind of watching it for the sport of it more than anything. Cause mm-hmm. to see how people act when they're, you know, doing their thing. It's funny, but, um, you know, I think it's really interesting. They, I heard somebody say the smartest people that can and should be running things aren't the people that are running things because Mm -hmm. they're too smart to be the people trying to be running things. Right. You know, and, and, you know, I think, you know, if I, I I wish, and I hope I, I, I implore you all to, Take a step back and not act like you don't know, but just learn yeah. and be a sponge and sit because, okay, so I'm, I'm now the global creative director and I know that when I took this job, um, you know, I knew and I started as associate creative director. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew I knew everything I needed to know mm-hmm. to do the job. Yeah. Now, I'm smart enough to know that's not true. Right. Because I didn't know this environment, I didn't know the people, I didn't know their processes, I didn't know the complexities of the organization, I didn't know the layers. Um, you know, we have products, services, apps, consumer-facing uh, brands, programmatic marketing, mm-hmm. social media. I mean, there's layers and layers and layers to this business. That how are you going to know that walking in the door month one? Right. I didn't know everything month. You know, month forty-eight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's there's still more layers that are getting peeled back. And so I was smart enough to sit back and say, no, 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 I don't know. I mean, I know how to solve a problem if you put it in front of me. I have a process and a methodology by which I can go about solving a problem. Right. But as far as knowing all this stuff, and then you throw in the fact that we have international teams. Yeah. It's like, holy moly, I need to learn a lot about that. And, you know, uh, a lot of people ask me, like, you know, from a management's perspective, how did I, you know, gain the information that I have? Like, oh, man, you know, how do you know what you know as a, as a, as a manager in a corporate environment? And in all honesty, I use a very people first approach to everything. Yeah. 
You know, I worked at a church for a long time. Mm -hmm. And what's awesome about working for a church is that you have people from all ages, all walks of life, all ethnicities, Mm -hmm. all business backgrounds. And they're coming together because they have a, a, a unifying belief. Yeah. And that unifying belief extends out to where they say, hey, we want to help our community or we want to help others in need or we want to help each other grow and we want to teach these kids or we want to host this event. And you have to kind of help coordinate all those efforts. Right. And so it is amazing coordinating people not based on uh, a paycheck. Right. They're not there for the dollar. They're not there to see the numbers go up in this way or that way. I mean, they're there to see... You know, lives being changed, people smiling, coming in depressed, leaving smiling. Right. You know, their their life kind of might have got derailed somewhere, and now you can help nudge them back the right way and help them get back in, in into you know uh, being being you know prosperous in their world. Right. But you learn a lot of people management skills in those environments. Yeah. You learn a lot of coaching. You learn a lot of humility. You learn how to do things with 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 you know intent and processes and repeatable processes and practices yeah you know and then you bring that into a corporate environment and now you can sit back and you know learn from people again so all i'm saying is i take every experience that you've had experience you've had take every experience you've had and really apply apply it to everything you do yeah you know i think as a designer you'll probably hear it said that you know only 10 percent of what you get to do is what you came to do, right? Right. 90% of what you do in your work world isn't the work you're really hired for. Right. Especially as a designer. Yeah. You rarely get to really sit down, put your headphones on, and design something that, you know, no matter what your definition of design is. The rest of it is politics, meetings, people management, you know, process, blah, 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 blah. You yeah. Know? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, definitely take all of those experiences that you have and bring them into the to the to the environment or to the challenge that you're faced with you'll be so impressed with yourself as to how much you can really how much value you can you can really you can really add yeah and and that kind of piggybacks onto um what we were discussing around relationships and how important kind of managing those relationships in the workplace is can you expound on that a little bit so i've been married 20 years wife is super fresh i love her (laughs) Um, but you know, again, you don't get to 20 years of anything without learning how to ebb and flow, give and take, bob and weave. Right. And then, so I see the work environment as nothing but another relationship, Yeah. you know, and, uh, a lot of the things that you learn in a, uh, you know, marital, physical, you know, kind of you know, peer to peer relationship, Mm -hmm. those things can translate right into, you know, your work world. Yeah. So for example, um, you know, you know, I've had to manage some funky kind of situations sometimes. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite sad stories to tell is, uh, (laughs) um, we had a a client one time and we had these videos that we needed to get to the client Mm -hmm. and uh, somebody gave us a thumb drive, you know, flash drives because we had a, you know, we're going to give it to a courier and have them ship it down to this particular company. And, um, you know, somebody, nobody remembered to buy a flash drive that had plenty of storage space. So mm-hmm. um, one of the guys came in the office and he said, hey, you can use mine. And we're like, oh, wow, thanks. Appreciate it. And uh, we plopped it in. And, I remember this. Yeah, we plopped <laughs> it in and, and, and we added the videos to it. We gave it to the courier, shipped it off. And then we got a call from the client, happened to be a female. And she said, hey, um, there's some very inappropriate material on this on this drive. Because when you put a, flop, uh, a drive into a PC... Up pops a, a, a modal in a menu that says, what do you want to view on here? Do you want to view all the videos? Do you want to view the images? Do you want to save these files? Da, da, da. Right. And she said, oh, videos, because she's, of course, expecting videos. And he had some personal videos on there yeah. and others, you know, enjoying their personal time. And, uh, and so, you know, she called us, and thank God she was very gracious and uh, really just she went over and above to really not make a, a big deal of it. Right. Um, but we had to take care of the situation. And I was a young, you know, creative director at the time. And, and the guy didn't report to me per se, but yeah. I was asked to handle it. Yeah. And so the dude came into the, came in the office and I was like, hey, man, we got to talk. And, you know, he's like, what's going on? I said, we've got a, a funky situation. Yeah. And I'm smiling the whole time because I'm like trying to hold back the laughter because it was it was terrible. 
and I didn't know how he's gonna take it. Yeah. And when you think about the situation, it's kind of funny, and it's like, oh god. And I knew the guy, so I knew he was kind of a very lighthearted type spirit, anyway. Yeah. So, okay. Because we had dodged the bullet like on the legal side of things, mm-hmm. so I knew didn't have to worry about that as much um, unless we didn't handle this. So, anyways, he and I start talking, and he's like, oh my gosh, I was just trying to help out. I'm like, I know, and he stopped, and I said, so. You know, you know, we got to make a hard decision today. I mean, we, you know, we got to let you go. And he's like, "This just isn't fair." Yeah. And I'm like, "It's not fair, but I, unless you have a different option that you could recommend that we should consider," I said, "I don't know what other option we do have." Yeah. And he leaned back and and he kind of asked, like, "So did they? Did they really? Could they see my face?" <laughs> <laughs> and so we both just started laughing, like, "Yeah, dude, they could see your face." Yeah. You know. But again, right? And, but you you handle it with sensitivity, and it's just a mistake. It's just a guy. It's just a you know. And uh, but again, you know, you try to keep that relationship. You don't want people to feel bad. You don't have to go in there with fire and brimstone, and you know, with like legal documents and terrify people. Right. That's a hard thing that you're getting ready to have to tell somebody. Tell it the way that you would like to hear it. Yeah. Don't let your position get you all puffed up like, hey, I got to talk to you in the boardroom and we got to action. <laughs> I'm like, dude, okay, maybe that's the right way for certain people, but it's not how I flow. Right. You know, maybe that's a pro and a con. Maybe there's a negative to that and a plus to that. But yeah. I think take your personal relationships and experience and really think about how it's going to impact the person on the other side of the conversation. Yeah. In, in every instance, not like something as major as that, but even day to day, like, hey, you know, I know I received these files from you. I have some questions because yeah. some of it didn't quite make sense to me. So maybe you could help me understand it. Yeah. And what you're really probably saying in your back of your mind is this is the worst idea I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Man, I don't want to work on it and yeah. it sucks. But you can't say that, right? right. You got to be very sensitive because they might tell you something that's like a revelation to you. Yeah. Because I've had that happen plenty where I thought I knew what I knew. Oh, I know this. Well, they should do it this way. Yeah. Let me go ask somebody what they think. Oh, oh, you're doing it. Oh. See, I would look like a fool if I would just barged in with my opinion. Yeah. Instead, again, let me go to them with respect and trust that they're doing things thoughtfully and with their, you know, uh, best intentions in mind. So, yeah. You know. I, I think that... Um Giving people a benefit of doubt is the benefit of the doubt is such an important thing, and so often we lose sight of that. We have to give more. Bit. Um, we have to do that better, dude. Especially, you know, I'm I'm speaking, you know, I think in life generally, but specifically when we're talking about certain design decisions that are being made, um, there's often such, and I'm 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 learning this every day as well, working in such a large enterprise with such a long history mm-hmm. that there is layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of constraint and business decision and yep. and and requirements and laws and compromises and yep. laws and regulations yep. that have to be made for anything to be visible at all anywhere yeah. that you know you can have decisions or, or opinions or you know things that need to change when it comes to a design execution like why would you that doesn't make any sense why would you do that that looks horrible right. why have we not updated this yet it hasn't been touched <laughs> since 2009 like what's happening like a long time ago 2009 right like well, <laughs> super long time ago um and then you know it's going back to humbling yourself and saying, okay, there's clearly some information that I don't have here. Let me try and go find out. And then you start to like peel this onion and every time you get an answer, then there's like another question that you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And so, and this kind of goes back to when we speak about like technology companies as well and the stupid mistakes that they've made. Mm. Um, Giving people the benefit of the doubt and understanding that generally these decisions are being made by really smart people who are encountering a really tough problem mm-hmm. uh, around which there are tons of different constraints we're unaware of. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing, I don't know if this is on or offline, but we were discussing um, some of Facebook's uh, content moderation challenges. Oh, yeah. yeah there, was a, there was an article on Vice, uh, from, it might have been like three or four weeks ago, that talked about the scale of the problem they're trying to solve. Right. It's not that they don't care it's that they're kind of breaking water on this and right. they're they're the they're the first people to be in this space at this scale and to then have to uncover all of the challenges that are associated with that size yeah and how to how to attack that we being the armchair quarterback can say i clearly wouldn't have made that pass to that guy it's triple covered right right, right. but we don't know what else was happening and that's it 
to him in that space and time. Right. And with that, you know, using the arm armchair quarterback thing, when he completes the pass in the triple coverage, he's mm-hmm. the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah. When it gets picked, <laughs> he's an idiot. Yeah. He's getting some batteries thrown at him on the way out the door. Yeah. So it's like while we look at like the Facebooks and Twitters and all these other great companies that we all kind of, you know, hold up these days, you marvel at them and you invest in them heavily and you reap the rewards and you use them and you advertise on their platform. But when they have, when they're faced with all these difficulties, we change our opinion. We're so fickle, man. We yeah. like, we'll change, we'll turn on a dime, yeah. you know? And again, I'm guilty of it too. Yeah, I mean, we all we're all, you know, let's be clear. Um, but they, 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 they are some big challenges, but going back to something you were saying about like all the layers and layers and layers of decision and decision, and decision of laws and da, 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 you know, as a designer, whether you're designing a, a process, you're designing a campaign, you're designing a physical workflow or a product or whatever, mm-hmm. it will have, it has impact, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, as you're working at a place, say you're working at a firm for two years, mm-hmm. three years, four years, and you're designing stuff, you know, there's people that are going to come after you. Yeah. They're going to be burdened with your decisions. Yep. And you're going to be gone. And they're going to be saying, what idiot made this choice? What idiot made this choice? <laughs> that idiot that used to do it. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, 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 a, it's a big ask. But, and I don't know if people, do, well, hell, I know people don't do it. Mm-hmm. They don't think past their decision. Yeah. They don't think about the ramifications. For example, at our company, we have a component library that was built like, you know, Five, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was built every single person, not every single person, let me not do that to people. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of people that think that I'm an advocate for implementing the component library because it's a design thing. Mm-hmm. And it will solve some usability pro- uh, issues in our products. It will make our products flat out look better. Mm-hmm. It'll modernize them and this, that, and the other. But there's like literally three or four other reasons why. One is compliance. We don't win certain deals because certain parts of our product might not be compliance for web accessibility guidelines. Mm-hmm. Certain government entities, cities and states, they need that. Right. Our component library, however, is compliant. Mm-hmm. So if we were to apply that across all products, then we would, you know, we could, you know, hopefully not have that be a, a red flag on us for certain things. You know? Yeah. And again, I'm speaking loosely. I'm not necessarily speaking like literally in, in everything that I'm getting to share. Um, another thing is efficiency, mm-hmm. right? Right now we do have one component library. However, because we have different fits and starts and iterations of it, our engineers have to essentially manage 12 or 13 versions of that component library. Right. So that's way inefficient for them. Instead of them saying button, right? Pulling up that code class for a button, they have to figure out which button is it that I need for this. Specific, right. You know I mean, and which product am I on today? Or, oh, okay, so there's... So there's those inefficiencies, you know? Um, So, you know, all that to say, I mean, think about when you make a decision, don't be so selfish and only focus on what you need. Yeah. Please think about the totality of the organism that you're a part of. You know, think about uh, the, the, the engineers, think about the customers, think about, the, the team that's writing the RFPs and doing contract negotiation. Think about the users that might have disabilities yeah. and that need to use system uh, accessibility devices to help them read web pages or products and interact and do different different tasks. You yeah. know, it's not just about you getting your way and wanting a cool thingy in there. It's that's a very naive approach. It's a very JV approach to think about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you why we're laughing today about JV. But, you know, it, but it is. It's a very junior way of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. There's a bigger machine that makes hundreds of millions of dollars that provides services and value to a whole lot of people yeah. who depend on this to do their job every day that your design decision may or may not impact. Yeah. So just don't, don't take these decisions loosely and just think, oh, man, I can't get my awesome design through. I know. I, uh, there's a lot of reasons why you may or may not be able to, you know. Think yeah. about everybody in this thing and, and try to – humble yourself again and recognize what what we're trying to do yeah you know i think that's a great place to wrap it yeah 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 well before we wrap it i'm going to just explain the jv thing so since we're sitting here with jesse one time as jesse came into our company (laughs) (laughs) 
he was working and knew and he's told you he didn't have a formal design training and and so i having had formal design training in a lot of years in the business i wasn't as sympathetic to um the fact that you know he hadn't had the same type of training yeah right so we were sitting there we we're working on a piece of pro we were working on something and i my my feedback was oftentimes the same mm -hmm. uh, hey make sure you check the spacing here make sure you check the padding make it consistent make sure the the fonts are all you know consistent you know across the board blah, 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 blah. and you know i felt like i was just saying it over and over and over and over again mm -hmm. And I can't remember where I said it to you, but I remember one time, because Jesse used to play basketball. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why I said it is because I knew he played basketball. I knew he was at least comfortable with the concept of being coached. And, and you know, coaches usually on teams tell it, shoot straight. Yeah. They don't really sugarcoat things. So I was like, I don't have time to keep saying this over and over again. So yeah. I kind of dissed him a little bit. <laughs> and I said, hey, man, this design is JV, bro. Yeah. I need you to come on. I need you to, you know. And he, the, <laughs> the feedback and look on his face was like, bro, you just called me JV? And I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, and again, we had a good relationship. But I really genuinely felt bad about it. But I honestly, I don't think I ever had to say anything about it again yeah. after that. You know, and then we could joke about it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, learn the lessons, right? Learn. If, if you're getting feedback, if you get feedback one time, fine. I don't know. If you get feedback two times, okay, start listening. If you get feedback five or six or seven or eight, nine times on something, you really need to wake up and figure out, why do I keep, let me master this thing. Yeah. And so I can move on. So I, cause I don't want to hear this anymore, you know? Um, so anyways, that's why we no, I, I think that's a great, um, as we wrap, but I think that's a great value that, you know, you, you said you didn't have, you didn't want to keep saying it saying it again but you did also keep saying it um you said you didn't have sympathy for the fact that i didn't have that education but you also were willing to take a chance and teach uh, and i think for a lot of people that would be a really valuable thing and i, I don't know you know as you're looking for a, a position and i was actually speaking with my one of my younger brothers about this um, as he was trying to enter the workplace the value that i found in working with the right people for the right reason. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this, I think, previously um, as well. But if you have the opportunity to really think about the people that you're going to work for as you come into a space and what, the, and what value that they can provide to you outside of a paycheck. Right. Um, you're expected to provide a certain amount of value commiserate with your experience and your salary. But uh, uh, your job should provide you some value as well. It sure. shouldn't be a yeah. one-way street. It should definitely, definitely be a two-way street. And looking for someone who's willing to invest in you as a, as a person um, is super important. And then that finally, um, if you don't humble yourself, someone is going to humble you. Yeah, um, that's, true. that's true. And that's more painful. <laughs> and, and nobody wants to humble you. Right. But nobody they, wants to do that. Yeah. But, you know, we, we only got very few options. Nobody wants to humble somebody else. It yeah. sucks to do that. If yeah. you, let me say, if you care about people, yeah. you don't want to have to go around humbling people. That's no fun. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I always enjoy our discussions. Yeah, that's good stuff. <laughs> that's good. So I hope you guys like this uh, format. We're going to give it a shot and stay consistent with it for another 10 episodes. So you can check that out. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, there we go. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date with all things Colored by Design, you can subscribe to us on Instagram TV, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. Awesome. And if you enjoyed this, we hope that you leave a favorable rating and comments on your uh, platform of choice. And we'll see you guys next time. Cheers.